Now playing comes a podcast from two brothers. My name is Christian Duran. And I'm Pedro Duran. About the movies that raised them. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? From the laugh out loud comedies to the explosive 90s action flicks. Welcome to Earth. The heartwarming animated classics to the tear jerking Oscar bait dramas. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. And now, grab your popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the Duran Brothers Movie Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Duran Brothers. <laughs> I almost said, oh dear, podcast. <laughs> welcome. To the Duran Brothers Movie Podcast, where every week two brothers talk about the movies that raise them. My name is Christian Duran, and with me, as always, is this is Pedro Duran, and we're here, and we are the Duran Brothers. Yes, and we the reason the Duran- if, for the audience, like Christian said, the old dear, he has another podcast called Old Dear. Oh dear. Yeah, Christian's yes. a podcast mogul. I'm a maven, a mogul, whatever you want, an entrepreneur. I'm recording Joe Rogan's podcast and <laughs> right after this one, I'm, yeah. I'm stacking them up. No, but uh, we are the Duran Brothers, and this is where we talk about the movies that raised us, the VHS classics, the DVDs, the HBO, the t- movie of the week, ABC Saturday Night Movie, yeah. for those that remember. Uh, first of all, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Just hanging out. Um, I have to, I've been invited to a Christmas in July party later, which what? uh, Yeah. Which, well, actually kind of makes sense for you because as if people don't know, you are, you live in Australia and it's winter time there. So it actually makes sense to do a Christmas in July party where you can have snow even though I guess in Australia they do they associate Christmas with snow? No, only with yeah. like on TV and stuff because it doesn't snow in yeah. December. It's really actually right. really hot. But the thing is, yeah. it doesn't slow, snow here at all. But the the thing about it, Christmas in July, it's a whole thing of irony because it's supposed to be hot. So yeah. you know, right? But then it's actually cold. <laughs> yeah. So it actually is like Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, That's it's super meta. Yeah, it kind of makes sense and not really. Yeah, uh, it's just the fact that I have to go to this thing. Like, I have to be, I have to exit my house and, yeah, go to this thing and, yeah, I'll be fine. But I agree. And now I'm like, oh god, I don't have any. I have one Christmas shirt to wear, so we'll be fine. We'll be fine. So, how are you? Uh, I am very well. I am doing well. Um, got to see some movies. This week, I'm going to see some movies. I'm, uh, you know, very excited about the release of Oppenheimer and Barbie. Mm. I heard they're both very good, which come out today. Yeah, so I'm very excited, and I'm, I'm uh, eager to check those movies out and talk about a great deal of uh, movies today. Sorry, I'm. There's like this trailer playing, and it's caught my interest, so I got to. 
okay. Have you seen all the memes of the Oppen Barbie and stuff like that? Barbenheimer. Yeah, all that. That's kind of a little. That's kind of a, a moment. In, in, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, quite the cottage industry. Mm. I don't know. People are very like positive about both movies right now. I think, mm. and I think part of it is because of the hype. So I think you got to wait a week or two before you really get the real consensus of what everybody thinks. Um, but yeah, I heard they're both great. So I do want to check them out. I'm Which one are you going to probably see first? I think I'll probably, I feel like I'll probably end up seeing Barbie first because Oppenheimer's like three hours and trying mm. to find three hours to see that movie is going to be tougher than, you know, Barbie movie. Plus my, uh, my wife, Natasha, wants to see it so yeah it makes more sense to yeah see that one first yeah. see i want to watch barbie too but i can't go to the movie theaters by myself and watch it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what well, i mean you can just go like barbied out wear a pink shirt and i know go, that's I'm the only ready. thing ready yeah like you're a super fan of barbie yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or or it's just funny enough imagine you go to a theater and some guy brings a doll and i'm not talking about a little barbie doll he brings his like life-size oh. adult doll oh no this oh, is dear. my barbie <laughs> <laughs> sir you have to leave <laughs> why we aren't doing anything <laughs> are we disturbing everyone <laughs> i paid for two tickets <laughs> and my popcorn's coming <laughs> okay have some popcorn sheila i need to speak to <laughs> <her>. <laughs> oh, yeah there's man. some there's some motherfuckers out there this we're digressing into something else but i've seen a documentary where this guy is like collecting these things oh yeah oh well i'll send it to you i'll send you a video where he but he has yeah. like and he's married he has like oh. you know but he has like of course it's in england but like <laughs> i don't know what that means <laughs> i don't know why but yes i agree but yeah he's like 10 of these things anyway anyway so yeah. but what you seen this week other than something that we like something about. new yeah yeah uh nothing Nothing new. I know the flash is out officially mm. on streaming and I'm mm-hmm. very eager to see that. Speaking about s- superhero movies, I went back, I started watching um, those X-Men, the yeah. first class generation ones. Yeah. So I saw X-Men Apocalypse, which watching it again, at first time I watched it, I was like, it wasn't that bad. But watch it again. I was like, no, it is bad. The writing is really, really yeah. shit. Just some of the stuff they say, you know, like, it's just such a setup. Like, you know, remember Havoc's in it? Yeah. And then, like, Professor X at one point goes, like, Havoc's needs, Havoc, the, Havoc is a superhero character if anyone doesn't know. Yeah. But he needs to Havoc destroy was in, Havoc was in X-Men, the first, first one, class. X-Men first class. Yeah. And then he comes back for X-Men Apocalypse because he has graduated from the school, right, at that point. Right. And he brings his brother. Scott Summers, yeah. Yeah, who's Cyclops in the comics, which is all true. They're brothers yeah. in, in the comics. But there's one point where Havoc, Professor X asks Havoc, the character of Havoc, to destroy something. And then he's like, Havoc, blast it, whatever. And Havoc, the character, says, you sure? He goes, yes, release Havoc. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. But obviously in the movie, they called him by his first name. I forget what his, the character's name is. But he goes, release yeah. Havoc. Oh, good. Yeah, it's really it's really not that good. It's a lot of like mm. bad writing in it. And I was like, who the what the fuck is this? Yeah, no. I, you know that X-Men, the the original X-Men collection. I mean, 
the thing about it was it came out the first one came out in 2000 and it was like yeah. right after blade so like anything they did that was like competent and you know pretty good was like amazing right because yeah. we hadn't had we were so starved for superhero movies and like that looked like and felt a little bit like the comics mm-hmm. that and we were talking about this last week of like you know the pictures came out of wolverine or hugh jackman wearing the wolverine costume and everybody yeah. went crazy and more was, and more i've seen I've, I've kind of seen a fight already yeah yeah well i mean you're not gonna see anything anymore because uh sag now the sag went on strike i just read maybe i have the number wrong but it's costing them sixty thousand dollars a day for deadpool 3 to not be in production mm. so every day that goes by they're losing uh Disney's losing $60,000 or it might've been 600,000. There's no way it's $600,000 because, Oh, maybe it is because a movie like that costs probably in the hundreds of millions. So could be. So anyway, but back to the original X-Men, it's like just doing, just doing uh, that movie and just having them wear black suits was enough. Mm. And, um, it's just there's some stuff when you go back and watch even the original x-men that just is off now you're like oh this is not that exciting like the original saber tooth and stuff Mm -hmm. you're like "Eh, it's kind of whack i was with some people and they were talking about that line that halle berry has in the original frog yeah Yeah, about the the frog and i was and the thing about that is like i didn't know this for a while but joss whedon apparently did some rewrites on x-men like punch ups yeah. on the original X-Men. He's not credited, but he wrote, I guess they had called him in cause he's a funny guy and he wrote jokes for whatever for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was his line. I feel like that would have been his line. And I always go like, listen, I, I feel like they got the script and nobody understood what the joke was supposed to be. And I'm like, they were like, Oh, the people I was talking to were like, Oh, that's such a stupid line. And the line is, do you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning? And then Storm uh, says the same thing as everything else and just shoots him with a bolt of lightning and then, you know, he dies Mm. or whatever. But to me, I was like, they're like, oh, that's such a bad line. I'm like, yes, it is not good and it's stupid, but it's also delivered wrong, which ruins it. And I understand the point of it. The point is to be like, is for her to go. Do you know what happens to a frog or a toad when it it gets struck by lightning? And then in the background, there's supposed to be like dramatic music and like rising music to make you think that she's going to say some ill shit. And then she goes, and then it's about the music's supposed to cut and she's supposed to go, same thing that happens to everything else. And then she strikes him with lightning. That's supposed Mm. to be the joke. Like it's supposed to play it, but they just did it straight as fuck. And it makes no sense. And it's stupid and unfunny. It needs to be the joke. The punchline needs to be deflating the situation. Right. Yeah. So I can even think about it. Like, like you said, the setup, she's, she's what do you know what happens to a toad when he gets struck by lightning, the lightning and the weather yeah. starts getting crazier, crazier. Maybe he gets struck. He dies. Yeah. She turns around and starts walking away. And it's kind of like everything. Same thing. That happens same thing everything else. Everything else. Yeah, exactly. She's supposed to be like, what do you, the joke is supposed to be, what do you think happens? Yeah. Like not, the same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> like it was fucking. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, I watched yeah. that. I, I watched Apoc- uh, X Men Apocalypse. Did you see um, Dark Phoenix? 
I started watching it last night. I've seen I've yeah. seen clips of it when it first came out. I heard the reviews when it first first came out. Our reviews were so negative. I was like, I don't know, yeah. know if I want to waste my time. So I just watched clips online. So I've seen most of the movies. I've seen the the highlights of the film, but I did start watching it last night. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I I always forget like, oh yeah, Jennifer Lawrence is in these movies. Like I was like, yeah, um, it's so weird because she's yeah. such a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a big part. And um, she was actually really good. She's a really good actor. I really appreciate her every time she's on screen. Um, what else? James McAvoy is really good as Professor X. Yeah, he's um, very good. Different yeah, take. He, yeah, yeah. He's really, really good. Um, yeah, so I started watching it last night, but it was a little like, uh, okay, what's, you know, it's that the same thing, the writing. There was one scene where after, have you seen Phoenix? I think so. I don't remember it almost uh, at all. Yeah, so they have a mission in the beginning where they have to go to space. Something goes wrong. Gene yeah. gets, uh, I guess, possessed by the Phoenix celestial being. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like a possession movie where, you know, where it's a thing of like, wow, you're eating a lot. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know how that goes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, oh, I'm just really hungry. Wow, you're eating a lot, Gene. You okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's this party scene and Cyclops to Phoenix, uh, to, to Gene, this, back to the writing, he goes, oh, you know, Cyclops to Gene says, you know, Gene, so ever since you came back from that mission, all the other students have been giving you a nickname. Oh yeah. What's that? They call you Phoenix. Like, uh, uh, okay. I don't like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, too, you know, what's crazy about that though? It's like. That's the second time the Phoenix saga um, has been done in movies. Mm. And the first time was in X-Men The Last Stand. And it was so – there's like way too much going on. Yeah, it was shoehorned. Yeah, it was like shoehorned and they, they're trying to – they're trying to do way too much in that movie. And so everything got short shrift. But this is written by – it was written by Simon Something, Kimberg yeah, yeah, yeah. and Zach guy. Penn. And then cut to X-Men Dark Phoenix and Simon Kimberg is the director and writer of Dark Phoenix. And it's like, dude, you had a second chance at it and you still fucked it up. Like (laughs) the thing is he had a second chance at it and he was like, oh, they like it. They like it. You know, it's a Ninja Turtles thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. They like it. They like it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And it's also like hard because one of the things is like, in those the first class movies, Jennifer Lawrence, wa- Jennifer Lawrence wasn't exactly Jennifer Lawrence when they first started. She was just mm. becoming, and then she got Hunger Games and then an Oscar and everything. And then by the time Dark Phoenix is out, it's like she needs to be the biggest star in the movie because she's the biggest star in the movie. She needs mm-hmm. to have the most screen time mm-hmm. because. And if you notice, like as the movies go on, she wears the makeup less and less. For it's sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not, for a, she's like, hey, I'm not wearing that makeup. I'm not sitting in the chair for eight for hours. Eight and also hours. B, we need to show that it's Jennifer Lawrence in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's very funny. So those are like some constraints that go along with that kind of uh that kind of movie. But yeah, by yeah, the time Dark Phoenix, she's Mystique Jennifer Lawrence is like the leader of the team. She's like telling them exactly, what to do yeah. and, and stuff like that. Where maybe in the comics later down the line that's happened, but the comics and the animated series on Fox that we grew up with never had Mystique yeah. was always a villain. Yeah. She was like 
And she wasn't even associated with Magneto in the way that she is in the Brian Singer, not trilogy, but the first three movies mm. um, where she's like, you know, um, Magneto's right hand person. Yeah. Like, it's not even like that at all. Like in the, as far as I know in the comics or she was always kind of like her own thing. Like she was like yeah. a side, like, like kind of like assassin or yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She was even in, wasn't she in the original, the pride of the X-Men mystique? Cartoon? Yeah. I mean, no. she was in the video, the arcade game. He, was she? Oh, as yeah. not as a fightable yeah. character. Cause you, she, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're saying. Cause she, you, she at one Magneto. level you, you beat yeah. Magneto and then yeah. it's like, turns out to be mystique. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice fake out. You're like, yeah. wow, this if, is a boss. So two things about that, that you brought up. If anyone doesn't know, go watch, uh, X-Men pride. Was pride it pride? Of X, pride of the X-Men. It's an animated pride movie. Pride of the X-Men. Yeah. It's, well, it was, it was supposed to be the pilot of a TV series. Yeah. Um, and like, there's a whole history behind that, but like, so they were making a, a, a RoboCop animated series. Yeah, and they were going to make 13 episodes, but then they reduced it to 12 because they were like, "Why are we making a RoboCop <laughs> series for kids? That movie is dark." Yeah, <laughs> and so the so instead they made 12 episodes and they had a budget for one more episode, so they decided to do an X Men show. Then this was supposed to be the pilot for uh, like this 80s series of X-Men and like, even if you watch like the theme song, there's like um, characters that seems like they would have explored. And even in the X-Men arcade game, there like, seems like there's characters that would have been in the show. But mm-hmm. anyway, it's like, it's, you know, it's X-Men, but there's a lot of things that are off. Like Wolverine is Australian. Australian. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. funny. Which is full funny. circle. You Jackman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and some other stuff, but that was, I remember that was the first taste of X-Men I ever got. I don't Mm. know if that's the first thing you saw of them. I mean, it has to be, I think. Yeah. I remember mom came home and she got this tape. She's like, I got you guys. I rented you guys a tape. I was like, all right, what is this X-Men? I don't know, whatever. So we put it on. And 20 minutes later, after this thing's done, I was like, X-Men is the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, X-Men, the concept of X-Men is so good that like this weird cartoon that really didn't do it exactly justice kind of did it justice. Like mm. they kind of guide it. They kind of yeah. got it. And like they explain, it really does a really excellent job of explaining to you what the X-Men are, what the, what the stakes are, what's the, the, like, what's the their i don't know pain point like mm. what they're up against what it means to be a mutant and all this stuff in 20 minutes mm. and they introduce you to all the characters all their powers mm. and include dazzler who's <laughs> the most 80s didn't need to be there but they're like we got to you know jet is very a gem is very popular so we need yeah. something like that to the point i watched that and i was like yo dazzler's fucking the shit <laughs> yeah she's like when you watch not the- to be fucked with she's like yeah a list <laughs> x-men and then you find what's her power she takes sounds and turning into fireworks or lights and you're like uh, what okay, okay. Uh, to the point where in the 91 you know animated cartoon i was like where's dazzler <laughs> mm. yeah yeah where's, where's dazzler and to the, the fact f- that she's dazzler? actually she pops up in phoenix dark phoenix oh yeah 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 that's so funny yeah, and then they made a card, uh, an arcade game out of it. And if you've never, if you're, you know, of our age, and you've never seen this game, there's 
you've never been to arcade then. Like there's mm. no way you haven't mm. played or seen this game. But yeah, it's one of the greatest pieces of X-Men lore in my opinion. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, I, yeah. I I I one of the best aspects of that animated short movie pilot is when they do introduce the X-Men and it's in the danger yep. room. Yeah. And yeah, and it shows them a, you can see, and it's, it's Professor X with a bunch of exposition. This is Dazzle. Her power is to do this. And, and it shows the character showing off the power. It shows, it goes, even this is a danger room. Then it shows Wolverine. This is it. Da-da-da. And like the, one of the best ones, I thought Colossus' introduction was Brilliant. so awesome. Yeah. So good. So cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was so, so good. So, um, yeah. And, and they have tons of X-Men villains. Pyro's in it. Toad's in it. A comic accurate toad um the white queens in it emma frost yeah. magneto's in it yeah um someone else there was another guy named uh pyro earthquake no i said avalanche. pyro but earthquake or something avalanche uh, no avalanche wasn't in that one he was in because because those villains were the ones i was always looking for mm. in the animated series but pyro and avalanche didn't show up for a while and they showed up together later but it was pyro the blob uh, uh blob yeah toad and the white queen i think that was it and then juggernaut juggernaut was also in it mm. um but yeah so uh so yeah and then like if you if that's what starts you on x-men by the time you get to like the animated series i was i remember going like where's the white queen where's nightcrawler yeah. where's colossus like what the fuck are we doing guys like who the fuck is Gambit? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So that was one of the greatest pieces of X-Men. I mean, if anybody, you know, that's, if I was going to make an X-Men movie, that's the team I would use. Mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe not Dazzler, but. Um, Why not? I love it. And, th- and, and speaking about like these, because we were, we were just mentioning those, um, the, the first class uh, film. Yeah. And it made me realize something about the x-men is that they and 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 to and to um connect it with pride of the x-men it's funny because the x-men are so interchangeable you know what i mean it's not like the one team and i guess i guess that's one thing in comics but for me for a while i thought like that was a team it was like it's storm it's nightcrawler and and then watching these uh, you know these days of future past x-men it's like oh no this kind of like like a uh, like a, a sports team, like they yeah. change the roster sometimes, and then you know maybe uh, and, and all that. So it's but it's it's about the I guess the branding and the logo and the uniforms that makes them yeah. unified. Yeah, but there's also some. I mean, I, I don't know what the what the teams are looking like now in the comics because every I feel like every time I look to see what the comics are doing with X Men, it's always like there's always like two weird new mutants, and then like you know. The, the mutants I'm looking for are like dead and have been dead for like 30 years, like Gambit or something or like, you know, Beast is you never know what anybody's doing. Um, but the the ones that the mainstays seem to be Cyclops, Wolverine, Jean Grey Jean. to some degree. I, I feel like I don't know if she's dead or not in the comics. Like you never see her. Mm. Emma Frost is like weirdly kind of a, a mainstay. Mm. Um, and then I guess in Storm. Like I would say though, like those are usually the ones that are always that are still there. Beast to some degree, but like I would say it's usually like Cyclops, Gene, Wolverine, and like 
storm. And those seem to be the ones that like are usually in the team. Hmm. But I don't know, man. It's still, oh yeah. I was going to say they still haven't done Gambit in the movies, but they have in the Wolverine movie. Oh yeah. They have X-Men origins Wolverine. Yeah. And, um, they probably have a dumb line with that too. Like what? He's like, he plays cards. He's like a Gambit. (laughs) (laughs) And then what's his way? Will I am's in that too. Will I am is in it. Will I am plays like it's like a, a teleporter or something, right? Yeah, they they Will I am plays a mutant they made up for the movie, and he he does have like a stupid line like that. I, I forgot what his name is. It's like boom boom boom. <laughs> yeah, I got like, that supersonic sound. <laughs> his name's like my name's like Psych Rider. They're like, why do they call you that? And he goes, and like teleports three times. Yeah. That's why. And you're like, all right, that's cheesy. Um, But yeah, it's so weird because that is the movie. It's, it's not a good movie, but without it, there is no Deadpool. Like there is no Ryan Mm. Reynolds Deadpool. Like Mm. that's what's so crazy about it. Yeah. So that's what I was watching. But I did watch another movie. And uh, we talked about watching this movie um, this week because this is one of the hallmark movies that raised us. It's it's a classic to my generation, certainly. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the first time I watched it because it I was born in '86 and this came out in 1988. And of course, we're talking about 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Produced by Steven Spielberg. Mm. Again, this is like when I was that young. This is one of those movies where it's like he's. I started realizing like, I, I keep seeing Steven Spielberg's name, and he makes a lot of the movies that I like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, it's a name that started sticking with me. But um, your thoughts and memories of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, thoughts and memories. Um... My thoughts are it's a it's a great movie. It's um I think it's classic. It's incredible what they were able to achieve um without the technological advances that we have today. It's so much easier to do a Roger Rabbit now right than it was back then. And I was watching the making of and they were just saying they had no computer shots in that movie. I mean no computer yeah, yeah nothing is done by computers in that movie. It's all all the animation is hand-drawn um they had to figure it all out how to make these characters look keep it it was interesting because they were deciding i was watching the making of it and the guy with the 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 head of the animation was like so what do we do how do we make these things and they were there was some talks about having the characters look three-dimensional in the say in the aspect of um like a sonic the hedgehog in the real world kind of thing and they said no we can't do that because then it changes the whole uh, heart of the movie or the core of the movie or what they're really trying to achieve. So the characters need to look two dimensional, but they can't look flat. So how do we achieve that? And then that's when they started figuring out, all right, well, we have to give them shadows or shadow on the animation or, um, you know, when they're walking around, you can actually see their shadow on the, on the sidewalk or, you know, in the background. Um, And they did all that hand drawn, you know, Um, and, how do we make it where it's believable where the human c- 
characters are looking in the same eye line as these animated characters that aren't going to be there when the human characters are when they when they're filming um so and you know as a kid you don't really think about it but as an as yeah. like now it's like it's it's incredible absolutely difficult really hard to do um it won three Oscars, best film editing, best special effects, and uh, uh, I don't remember the last one. I got to look it up, but um, well-deserved. Um, my memories of it, uh, well, yeah, my memories of it was, yeah, I just thought it was a fun movie. Bob Hopkins is, I thought Bob Hopkins was the, the, like the, the greatest movie star ever. I didn't even realize he was English for a long time. Um, and not only English, English, he's like proper, like almost like yeah. from the gutter of, cause yeah. you hear his English accent you can tell he's like from the streets of England, you know? Yeah. Um, working and, class. yeah, working class. And, um, and, uh, Christopher Lloyd too was like the scariest fucking yeah. villain ever as judge <clears throat> doom. Yeah. It's, um, I think that's the thing that hits you when you when you watch it now immediately is like. How do they do this without CGI? And because it's so easy to do it now with CGI, a movie like this wouldn't even be that uh, special. Mm. You know what I mean? Like because they're using because you can use CGI, this like this just isn't the achievement that it was back then. Mm. Um, I I even think if you said like. I even think if you told people that you didn't use CGI and you did a movie again like this, I don't even think people would be like, they'd be like, Oh, that's cool. And then just like move on to something else. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's something about the secret sauce of, of, you know, the special cocktail of 1988 Steven Spielberg, all the, the animated characters that they used that they were, you know, licensed to use. And, um, and the story and everything that goes into it just is that perfect storm of uh, creativity and what audiences were looking for and like a special cinematic feat, you know, it's like, mm. it's kind of before CGI, the thing was, what can we show people that they haven't seen before? Um, what can we do that's new that people haven't seen before? And now it's just kind of like, well, what can we show them with CGI? You mm-hmm. know, that they haven't, you know, it's not even what that they haven't seen. It's like, what do we, what templates do we already have that we can use? Yeah. And just bombard them with more CGI. Like it's basically, now it's just like about making the CGI look better. And mm. it's not about like achieving anything, anything new. So I don't know, but I think this is like, uh, just a huge accomplishment. And it's also like, and it's funny too. And it's a story that's like really interesting. And mm. it's one of those movies that are like, I realize why I like certain things that I like when I was watching it, because I, um, the first scene is a cartoon. It's basically like this Roger rabbit cartoon. And when I was a kid, I thought Roger rabbit was, uh, a, a cartoon that, you know, existed. Like an established. Already. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like a cartoon that was like, a Looney Tunes that I just hadn't seen before. Um, but so the, the film starts off with a cartoon, you know, like the average Looney Tune cartoons, like baby's day out or something like that. Rogers tasked with like making sure this baby's safe. And then you realize they're shooting it on a soundstage in LA 
and uh that reveals just like, like once upon a time in hollywood yeah it's like it's pretty amazing but like that that and then the baby who's this cute baby on camera is like this smoking it's got this gutter voice like ah i need to go to my trailer and he's like grabbing women's asses like yeah and then the director's like screaming at Roger for blowing the take. And um, that, you know, that's an early thing that I saw. And and to me is like, it goes to one of the things I really love about that. I love they do in movies is like the, the difference between what you see on screen and what is happening behind the scenes or like, yeah, the, the very, the difference between the person on stage and off stage and what that looks like and what it takes to, to make that happen. And all the behind the scenes of it all is always very fascinating to me when movies do that. Mm, yeah. Uh, one thing before I, I want to say, I found is they, so the, the, the movie won best film editing, best sound and best visual effects. And then the guy who was in charge of uh, the animation, Richard Williams, who is now passed, he won a special achievement Oscar for this film. So mm-hmm. and when I watched the making of it, you, if anyone's out li- listening, just watch the making of it and get familiar with this guy, Richard Williams, because he has a long lengthy career. And he said this is one of his proudest moments and it's you know, well-deserved, well-deserved Oscar because um, yeah, for his career and, and for this film as well. But um, yeah, and then and then the movie, it it's not only just an animated movie, but it's a film noir um that really uh adheres to the conventions of the genre and and like as a kid you don't really notice it or to pick up on it but it's dealing with a little bit of um like prejudice and discrimination especially with eddie valiant's eddie valiant's character and his prejudice against tunes um you know the tunes are concentrated in this place called toontown which can be a stand-in for any kind of ethnic community yeah Yeah, ghetto or you know like even a a, just a chinatown or like a town or like a sudanese town or anything like that um and yeah and then you get the thing where roger is set up for killing this high powered i think he's a studio executive and um and because he's a tune, it, it it seems like an open and shut case. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, Eddie has to Eddie Valiant has to work with Roger and again against his prejudices to do the right thing and um, prove his innocence. Um, so yeah, it's all that, and then you got this visual spectacle around yeah. you happening. So and another thing, like great music, you know, like it's yeah, it's, it's a it's. it's the the music uh, score is very distinctive. Um, um, it's uh, it's uh, the composer. I had to look it up while I was watching the movie last night. Is Alan Silvestri? Yeah. Who well, now, Back to the Future, right? Yeah, who, who's famous for Back to the Future and now is famous for the Avengers theme. He yeah yeah so um. Yeah, he's famous for that now, but like it's interesting because I was watching this and I was like, some of these, some of the sounds sound like Back to the Future. I was like, oh, some of the some of the moments sound like Back to the Future. There's like little swells and yeah. tingles, like <laughs> um, yeah. So 
and the score is a, the score is excellent. It's very jazzy. And, uh, the scene where they give all the exposition, I love when they do exposition, like kind of cleverly. So Eddie Valiant is, uh, Bob Hoskins character, the main character. Eddie Valiant is a private eye in the 1940s. Um, whose brother died. His brother was his partner. Um, and he's drinking himself to death. Uh, so, you know, the first time we see him, he, he meets up with, he's paid by, um, RK Maroon of Maroon cartoons, who is Roger Rabbit's boss, um, to take pictures of Roger Rabbit's wife, Jessica Rabbit, uh, animated, but voiced by, um, Kathleen Turner. Sorry. And, um, so he takes the money, does the job. And then we see him go back to his office and he passes out on his desk. And then yeah. the camera, which goes, is sorry, but it's very typical of a film noir kind of plot. Yeah. yeah. So the camera goes from Eddie Valiant passed out on his desk all the way around to a double desk. His, uh, like the adjacent desk is where his dead brother used to sit. And if you see the desk, it has all sorts of dust on it. Um, saying this desk hasn't been touched in years and you see mm -hmm. Eddie, his brother's stuff, the photos and stuff. And there's little photos of him and him and Eddie on vacation or whatever. But then there's also pictures of like newspaper clippings of like mm -hmm. the Valiant brothers do it again. And they got goofy off of spy a, a, a conspiracy. Yeah. A spy charges, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you get the idea that like, Oh, these, these two used to work with tunes all the time. Yeah. And or they then, take tune cases and, and yeah. Yeah. And then, and we've seen Eddie be kind of gruff and very serious and he hates, he hates Toontown. Well, um, one thing he, about that I want to say is. is that on the newspaper clippings, they, they give you the whole backstory. They can see they're very close. They went yeah. on vacation, even with the love interest, that bartender, she was on vacation. Yeah. They show a photo of them graduating from um, police college. academy. Oh, well, no, they, they grow. That's the thing. They graduate yeah, from police academy, but they're wearing clown, yeah. noses. clown noses. So it just shows. And I think at the bottom, it said the class clowns the of class 19, clowns. of whatever, right. whatever. And then, and then it shows them, uh, there's a picture. It says them, uh, on, on the road with dad. And mm -hmm. it's a ringling. There's a picture of two little boys with a, a clown and the background is ringling brothers. So what yeah. you're saying is like their father was a clown. At the end, when Eddie does all his vaudeville tricks, mm -hmm. that's where he learned it from. And I never mm -hmm. really got that until mm -hmm. I saw it this time. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. so he was like, he understood clown. I'm sure he learned enough like clown stuff to be able to do like a vaudeville act. And yeah, his, but also he just like, he had a humor. He was yeah, a funny guy. Exactly. Yeah, he, he didn't take himself serious. That's why when, yeah. you know, when like Roger says, um, he goes, don't, what did he say? When they, he said that, he goes, don't sit. He goes, where is your brother? He seems like a fun and, and sober, sober fellow. fellow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, great movie. Yeah. And like you said, they, they really go for some, it's, it's kind of like Indiana Jones in that way where they like, they're like using a genre that's kind of out of fashion and mm. just kind of take their story with it and like add this whole level of special effects to it. Mm. Uh, like modern special effects to this old genre um and repurpose it and yeah it's really interesting um that's the thing with robert zemeckis like he was i think he's uh, me personally i think he's kind of fallen off but he was he was that dude that took very first the story was great he worked in a genre and then he added special effects just enough yeah. special effects to be like okay like it's something is that extra spice 
on the meal, you know? And then, it, I mean, that's why his, I mean, his most famous one is Forrest Gump. Yeah. And, um, it's a culmination. Yeah. It's a culmination of all that. And so, yeah, it's interesting, man. So, so, but, I but think, yeah. I think Zemeckis has kind of gone the other way now where I think the special effects come first and then he just looks for any story like mm-hmm. Beowulf. He's like, all mm-hmm. right, what's the oldest, most like, what's the oldest story that will make sense? And like Beowulf is always worked. It's worked for years. All right. Let me, let me put, what is it? Ray Winston, Winstone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, and do the, uh, Tintin effects with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And then a Christmas Carol, what's the oldest story ever told? the Christmas carols worked for then or work now and polar express. Didn't he do polar express? Yeah. Uh, uh I think so. Or yeah. Was that? Yeah. I think so. Um, but anyway, yeah. So he's, yeah, I think back yeah. then he, it was story first and then special effects. And now I think it's, I think it's the other way around and like that. Yeah. That it's one. hit and miss with him because like, remember yeah. he did, he was, um, um, he was working on Polo Express. He was a director of Polo Express. And it's crazy because he did Polo Express, Beowulf, and Christmas Carol, all three right after each other. That was his, like, his animated yeah. digital trilogy. But he also does like Castaway, which I think is a yeah. good one. And it does movie. have really and Flight. But and Flight. two things about that is that the special effects are all a plane crashing in both movies. <laughs> yeah. So he's and mastered that aspect yeah. of that. You know? But you know, like he's done What Lies Beneath, which is yeah. – Kind of like a Hitchcock, ghost, yeah, Hitchcockian thriller kind of thing, um, with kind of low special effects. Of, of course, the big special effects on that is you know Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Because yeah. I think she knows who your wife. Your wife. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you don't, yeah, I mean, if you don't know, that was like the that was every commercial when yeah. that when that movie came out. The marketing is the marketing for that movie is more famous than the movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, so much so they parodied it in Scary Movie Two. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you watch that, if you watch Scary Movie Two now, you and you weren't there, you wouldn't even understand what they were talking about. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but um, then he does stuff like Welcome to Mar Marwell. Well, I heard what which Marwell, I heard was I heard was abysmal, really abysmal. Yeah. It does the witches poke in and, and oh, I uh, forgot about the witches. Yeah, the remake one and the, um, po- the uh, Pinocchio, which Pinocchio, which was a disaster from what I understand. Yeah, me too. I heard that too. Yeah, so I it's like it you know what I mean. It's like this spectacle, animated stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Like I think just... when he's yeah, I mean, what we're talking about, like Castaway and uh, Flight, when he stays away from like the heavy um, effects. I think he probably does better. I mean, he did that movie Allied with um, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt, and that was not well received. And The Walk with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which is like his 3D movie, is like mm-hmm. IMAX 3D movie, and I think that was the big draw. But I've heard the documentary; it's based off like a documentary, mm. which I've heard was better than the movie. And um, yeah, I mean, he really—I don't know—I I don't really know what to make of it. Um, I. I think maybe just you have your time and then after a while you fall off you can't be yeah it's like tarantino said like directors don't get better with age who knows yeah. I mean, maybe there's some something from true to that but anyway the film roger yes. rabbit uh, stop shitting on this dude <laughs> yes i know it's destroying this dude <laughs> well i mean i i do have some notes and i 
some interesting stuff. It's interesting to like research a movie that you've watched like a hundred times mm-hmm. and then you never, you know, to get more insight into this thing that I've seen pretty much my entire life. Walt Disney uh, Productions purchased the film rights to Gary K. Wolf's novel, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, shortly after its publication in 1981. Robert Zemeckis offered his services as director in 1982, but Disney declined as his two previous films, I Want to Hold Your Hand and Used Cars, had been box office bombs. So mm. they they had the script. They were going to do the movie, and Robert Zemeckis was like, I'll direct. They are like, no, get out of here. Then Terry Gilliam was offered the chance to direct, but he found the project too technically challenging. Uh, he said, pure laziness on my part. He later admitted, I completely regret that decision. 1985, uh, based on the success of Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future back to back. And they're like, hey, what are you working on next? Come on in. You want to do Roger mm. Rabbit with us? Like, absolutely. Come on. So the film was finally greenlit when the budget decreased to $30 million, which at the time would have still made it the most expensive animated film ever. Walt Disney Studios chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg argued that the hybrid of live action animation would save Walt Disney feature animation. They brought in Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall of Amblin and uh, gave him like gave them like pretty broad powers to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Spielberg is the one that convinced um, Spielberg convinced Warner Brothers, Fleischer Studios, Harvey Comics, King Feature Syndicate, Felix the Cat Productions, Turner Entertainment, and Universal Pictures to lend their characters to appear in the film with, in some cases, stipulations on how those characters were portrayed. Um, Spielberg's contract. Yeah, I heard about this. Warner Brothers yeah. and Disney, they had to argue about uh, who was going to get more screen time, Bugs Bunny yeah. or Mickey Mouse. So that's why they're yeah. in the scene together for the exact same amount of time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and Daffy Duck and Donald Duck are in the same oh, yeah. scene together for the same amount of time, and at the end, Porky Pig and Tinkerbell are in the same. Oh same yeah, moment. they all have equal time because can't have one be bigger yeah, more than, than the other. other. Mm-hmm. I do think that Bugs Bunny's funnier in that scene that they're in. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, he goes. Do you have a spare? And he goes, I don't think, I don't think you want it. Yeah. And then Mickey's like, well, give it to him. Mickey's like weirdly evil. (laughs) Well, maybe Mickey doesn't know. (laughs) I don't know. But no, no he does say something at the end. He goes, oh, poor guy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think Bugs says. Ain't that stinker. Spielberg's contract included an extensive amount of creative control. One thing, one thing. It's just about that scene. Let's just go shows like. That's like they might as well had Mickey and um, Bugs just taking a flight to space because they're like the billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> they're just skydiving. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just randomly, yeah, 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 for out of leisure. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Doing something really dangerous. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Go ahead. We're sorry. What are you saying? No, Spielberg's contract included an extensive amount of creative control and a large percentage, a large percentage of the box office profits. Disney kept all merchandising rights. Yeah, Spielberg Which don't play. Spielberg didn't play because this movie was uh, shot up for $50 million, which is at the time was like crazy expensive. But then it goes on to make $351 million. So if he gets a large piece of that, I mean, the dude's already got E.T. money mm. and Indiana Jones money mm. and Jaws money and, mm. you know. Like and Back it. to the Future money as a producer. And Back and- to the Future money. Like, so then he gets Roger Rabbit money. Like... I mean, he was probably in the billions by then, right? Mm. I don't know. But he's a rich guy back then. 
and still close encounter um, money. Here's some interesting casting stuff. Uh, I know about Harrison, this. Yeah, Harrison Ford was the first choice, but he's he wanted too much money, which I could see. Uh, I could see being a you know humorless guy, but. And being kind of a private Harrison guy. Ford, a humorless guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's shocking. Well, yeah. I mean, if you ever look at his, uh, you know, the promo- promotion he does for like, you know, Star Anything. Wars, he's just like, whatever, dude, I yeah. don't care anymore. Um, yeah, he could, he could definitely play a curmudgeon. Um, but he wanted too much money. The second choice was Chevy Chase, but he was okay. not interested. Which in the eighties, yeah, that makes sense. Chevy Chase makes a lot of sense, I guess. Mm. Did Bill you heard Eddie Murphy? Yeah, I was getting to that. Bill oh, Murray yeah. was also considered for the role, but due to his idiosyncratic method of receiving offers for roles, Murray missed out on it. Basically, saying because Bill Murray doesn't have an agent, he just has mm-hmm. like a telephone number that you call, and if you have, if you're able to get the telephone number, you leave a message, and you talk. You basically pitch your script, and if he he's into it, he'll sign up for your movie which is so Mm. crazy and he just goes like there's no contract or anything he just shows up i guess Mm. and you're just like i i think i heard sophia coppola talk about that in lost in translation where that she was just like i don't know i got a hold of bill like by the way you get a hold of bill he just has a number you call and you pitch the script and then we talked i got on the phone with him we talked about he said he would do it and it was just like he said he was going to show up and we were just like, I don't know. He might not show up. <laughs> and then they were just like, and one day he showed up and we got to make the movie. So it's mm. like, it's all just like on a whim. Like you never know. It's just like, so there's nothing like in paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, so the next thing, yeah. So of course Eddie Murphy reportedly turned down the role as he misunderstood the concept of tunes and humans coexisting. He later regretted this decision. Eddie Murphy in 85 doing who framed Roger Rabbit. Is it as big of a hit as it is? It had to be, I guess. Right. Yeah. Beverly Hills copy came out. Right. Yeah. I just yeah. wonder the thing about the character though, is it's like Eddie Valiant is the, isn't the funny one. Mm. So Eddie Murphy not being funny would be weird back then. Eddie mm. Murphy being the heavy, I think they would have added too much comedy that that character wouldn't have had right mm. even chevy chase or bill murray i mean bill murray could do the subdued the sardonic thing of like humorless i think but and i guess chevy chase could do it in real life um but i i don't know eddie murphy not being eddie murphy would be weird yeah and then uh yeah yeah who knows because then he surely would be trying to improvise yeah, exactly. And then they'll say, I mean. "Let's keep let's keep that stuff in." I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to. You he would come up with some funny shit, and you'd be like, "Oh, dude, that's too funny to leave out." Mm. But then it's just like doesn't match. Probably, I don't know. Mm. Maybe uh, they work around it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Robin Williams, Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson, Sylvester Stallone, so everybody James, basically. Edward James, almost Wallace Shawn. Ed Harris, Charles Grodin, and Don Lane were also considered for the role. Bob Hoskins was chosen by Spielberg because of his acting skill and because Spielberg believed he had a hopeful demeanor and he looked like he belonged in that era. And then he mm. went on to work on with him on Hook. Uh, Hook. Yeah. Hook is Shmee. As you said, uh, Christopher Lloyd played yes. Judge Doom, the villain. 
the uh, Tim Curry auditioned for the role of Judge Doom, but was rejected because the producers found him too terrifying. Mm. Which Tim Curry back then, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, uh, he's going over the. Tim Curry would have been like kind of perfect yeah. <laughs> because he, you know, he can just do that. Uh, Christopher Lee was also considered for the role, but turned it down. Turned it down. Wow. Yeah, Christopher Lee would have worked too. John Cleese also expressed interest for the role, but was deemed not scary enough. Mm. Peter O'Toole, F. Murray Abraham, our boy, Roddy McDowell, Eddie Deason, and Sting were also considered for the role. Sting? Like the police sting. Yeah. Well, in the 80s, I mean, there was a wrestler sting. <laughs> you know and, the, and there and there are some movies where like they fucking just put these what's it called musicians in in these movies yeah. you know what i mean i mean they still do it today you should, there's a movie out there in 1992 free jack where yeah. it's um it's a you know about this it's a science no. fiction movie with you know it? no emilio estevez Rene russo anthony hopkins and Mick Jagger, rest the villain. Oh no! Yeah, it's, okay. it's a it's a convoluted plot, but yeah, yeah he plays a villain. I I guess they put David Bowie in the Man Who Fell to Earth and, and Labyrinth. So and Labyrinth. Oh my God, who could forget? Uh, and Labyrinth. And then I mean, he only did a couple. He's like Eminem. He did like one movie, and then just cameos in a bunch of things, mm. um, or two movies, I guess. But. uh and then he shows up in the prestige as Nikola Tesla. Yeah. Like years and years and years later, it's just like a one-off. It's just kind of interesting, but yeah, sting is a weird one because like he's in Dune, David Lynch's Dune. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? <laughs> like he's playing the role that Austin Butler's about to play in the new one. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, I don't know, man. Do you have credits before this? Like, this is kind of an expensive movie, man. Like, <laughs> like I think Anthony Hopkins was in it. I don't even know. But um, yeah, the rock stars. They're just like, I want to be in a movie. I'd like to be in a movie, please. Yes. Right away. Right away. I need one to thing get I off did. tour. <laughs> uh, one thing I've never realized, Christopher Lloyd said he avoided blinking his eyes while on camera to portray the character of... Judge, Judge Doom. Doom, which now I realize, yeah, I guess he did. Never really mm, know. Like it's an element that gives him his freaky, yeah, freakiness. I bought the red car to dismantle it. Speaking of the red car, that's like a it's a big part of the plot of the movie, and it's kind yeah. of a joke in the movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because of L.A. Yeah, yeah. Where the yeah. writers Price and Seaman said that the red car subplot. Uh, suburb expansion, urban and political corruption really did happen, Price stated. In Los Angeles during the 1940s, car and tire companies teamed up against the Pacific Electric Railway System and bought them out of business. Where the freeway runs in Los Angeles is where the red car used to be. Mm. So all the traffic now in L.A. is... Because of Roger this. Rabbit, Judge mm -hmm. Doom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One thing, as I was watching this movie... Uh, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen this. So it turns out Judge Doom is actually a cartoon. Not only mm -hmm. that, but it's the cartoon that killed Eddie Valiant's brother. Brother. It's the tune that dropped a safe on his head or a piano on his head? Piano. Piano on What's his head. What's wrong with him? Toon kill his brother. Yeah. Drop a piano. piano on his head. Train What's his problem? Yeah. I, was, I love yeah, that guy. The guy. <laughs> hey, he has a great joke later where he's like, yeah, 
uh, J- Judge Doom goes into the very bar they're looking at. And that actor, I, man, I got to look that guy up. Mm-hmm. But uh, that character goes, yeah, I've seen a rabbit. He's right here in this bar. He turns over his side. Say hello, Harvey. Harvey. <laughs> Which is Which at, the, at the time, I didn't know. But yeah. there's a movie about an invisible rabbit with who? Yeah. Cary Grant or something? Uh, James Stewart. But it was uh, yeah. out in like 1947. Yeah, named Harvey. He's saying Harvey. The thing is like James Stewart sees an invisible rabbit. Yeah. So he's like fucking with Judge Doom in yeah. a very like current reference for them, which is yeah. <laughs> pretty great. Um yeah. So did it, oh yeah, so Judge Doom. So Judge Doom is I don't know, are there rich tunes? Because that's yeah, the making thing. bugs. Like, uh, making bugs are skydiving with their tune money. Yeah. Yeah, because I that was the thing. I was like how did Judge Doom get his money? And Remember they said that he put a bunch of simoleons down. That's how they said it. But I, which maybe – I mean simoleons are it's slang for money, but it also could – maybe it's also tune money. But um, um, he – what do you, what did they say? He bought he, – remember because he's put a bunch of simoleons down, bought the election. Remember that, that one detective tells Eddie? He goes, how did this – how did yeah. this goon become the judge? How did this goon become a judge? Bought the simo- put a bunch of simoleons down, bought the election. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's probably because, you know what it is, now you think about it. Remember because Judge Doom, back when Eddie and, and his brother, he was robbing a bank, and that's probably what it was. Oh. Yeah, he was robbing – I'm, I'm pretty sure they said he was robbing a bank, and then that's what he how he killed – when, we, when yeah. he goes – he was a robbery. And when he goes in, he dropped a piano on, on Eddie's um, brother's head. Brother's head. Okay, so that makes sense. That's what I was like, well, how did he get this money? So then mm. he used, yeah, and then he got the money and bought the election, became a judge, and then also bought the red car and was going to turn into a freeway. And then I guess, you know, put tolls on it or something. It doesn't really make sense. I just don't under, and yeah. that I never understood. Maybe it was, it's just power or something. And, and so, but it, I never understood why Judge Doom was a tune hating tune. You know, yeah. maybe, I mean, yeah. it's, maybe it's just, just simple psychology. It's just some motherfuckers just yeah. hate the group that's, too. yeah, stuff like that. But it was, cause it was just, it's just about money or something like that. I was like, okay. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Cause he doesn't, you know, at the end he's like, when I kill your brother with the red eyes, I yeah. talk just like this. Doesn't seem like a guy who's motivated by money. It seems yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> much more evil than yeah, like the Joker uh, in Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I just need the um, I need the eight part Judge yeah. Doom backstory series. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just like that. It's like fucking what's it called Dark Knight. It's just Dark I'm an Knight. agent of chaos. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Anything else here? Doom was supposed to have an animated vulture sit on his shoulder. I saw that was, too. Yeah. This was deleted due to technical challenges. Uh, Doom was also to have a suitcase of twelve small animated kangaroos that act as yeah. a jury, yeah, like I a heard kangaroo that court. That's funny. Yeah. By yeah. having their joeys pop out of their pouches, each with letters, when put together, would spell "You are guilty." This was also cut for budget and technical reasons. Yeah. So to the fact that they that was such a plan when they released the toys, the Judge Doom toy animated uh, the the action figure had a vulture with it. Oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. 
Michael Eisner, then CEO, and Roy Disney, who was the vice chairman of the Walt Disney Company, thought the film was too risque with adult themes and sexual references. Eisner mm. and Zemeckis disagreed over various elements of it, but since Zemeckis had final cut privilege, he refused to make alterations. Roy E. Disney, head of Walt Disney Feature Animation, along with studio chief Jeffrey Katzenberg, felt it was appropriate to release the film under the studio's adult-oriented Touchstone Pictures banner instead of the flagship Walt Disney banner. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I know about that. You know about Touchstone, right? That's yeah, always their, like, yeah, that's their adult, quote unquote, when yeah. adult theme, not like, you know, when it's a yeah. mature, like, yeah, that's their banner that they put and in. And they don't want to say like it's Disney. Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's um, interesting. I mean, it's probably mostly because of Jessica Rabbit and we haven't talked enough about Jessica yeah. Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't even know what to say about Jessica Rabbit other than it's like it, a great reveal and a great scene um, of the. Oh, the femme fatale. Femme fatale. Exactly. Thank you. So Roger Roberts married to this like nightclub femme fatale who Eddie Valiant. His name is Roger. Her name is Jessica Rabbit. So her yeah. name is Jessica Rabbit. So he assumes it's a rabbit. Like and an, then yeah, it's like anthropomorphic really incredibly voluptuous, like human an, drawn. Animated yeah, animated human drawn in the most uh just accentuating every curve. Yeah, big titties, <laughs> big ass, big yeah. lips. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, she yeah. looks like uh yeah, I mean like a Kardashian kind of. Like mm. it's just like it really is what it is. It's like it's kind of what like beauty standards turned into for some reason like Mm. is trying to look like jessica rabbit Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's voiced by kathleen turner and sultry voice and then i think the singing voice was done by somebody else i don't think Mm. kathleen turner did that but yeah she's like i'm not a bad i'm not bad i'm not bad i'm I'm just just drawn drawn that that way way. yeah which is which is like a it is like a noir line you know yeah Uh uh-huh there is some weird stuff. They try to like they. There's like certain moments in the movie where they try to make her look like she might be the villain or something. Mm-hmm. And I watched it on a bigger screen today, and something I never noticed or yesterday. Mm-hmm. Something I never noticed is when Eddie she goes to Eddie's office, mm-hmm. and then Eddie's girlfriend uh, catches Dolores. him. Yeah, Dolores catches him with his pants off. Literally, like he just his happens to down, have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he just happens to have his pants down. And Jessica came in their office and then it's a whole thing. And he, he looks like something's going on mm-hmm. and then they go out into the street and you see Jessica rabbit in the backseat of her car, kind of looking at them arguing yeah. and smiling yeah. kind of like yeah. an evil smile. And you never noticed never, that before. I mean, I never noticed that they lingered on it so much. I was ah. like, I noticed there was like one shot. I was like, I had to have seen that before, but she's like in the backseat smiling like a lot, at, yeah. like them firing. To the point where you're like, oh, that's definitely a red. Ha-. Like now I know I'm like, that's a red herring that they just right. intentionally put in. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that. Like- but also, oh, oh, well, there's a shot where remember when um, Eddie and Roger go to RK Maroon Studios toward the end of the film and yeah. Eddie's going to uh, interrogate RK Maroon and um, she they separate and she hits Roger with a frying pan and puts yeah. him in the trunk of the car. And that's another right. th- red herring when you're like, oh, she's up to something, yeah. you know, yeah. but on a technical aspect of it, which is really incredible. There's a shot where in that same scene, she hits him with a frying pan. She throws him in the trunk of the car. Uh, camera pans up to 
Jessica, she looks over her shoulder and she looks at the window at RK Maroon's window and it it goes from focus to Jessica to the window. And just thinking about that, it's like, because there's no one there. Jessica's not yeah. there in that shot, but they were able yeah. to pull that off, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's what, what I'm talking about. Like, like there's a, when I saw that, I was like, wow, they had, to, that's just one shot. There's so many, so much shit in that movie where it's just like those technical aspects they had to consider, you know? Yeah. Like the bar scene. I mean, the whole Ink and Paint Club is just crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an elevated stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Explain it. So if you watch the film, everyone, all the human actors are on an elevated stage. So the stage is raised and there's humans with uh, crew members with robotics, I guess, skeletons of maybe the penguin waiters or the octopus. Um, and they're moving around the real life, you know, uh, serving plates and, and glasses and stuff under the stage. And that's how they are able to um, work that out. And then they put in the animated um, characters later on. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like an incredible. It's like puppeteers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible amount of detail. And like, you really got to know what shots you need and how the camera's going to move way before, uh, you know, all this stuff because they need to animate to, to match like the shadows and stuff. And that was one of the big things is like, they didn't want the, the characters to look flat. So mm. they had to like animate sh- shadows with the characters. And then like basically like rotoscope it, I guess mm-hmm. um, onto these frames of film, which is just so it's crazy, man. Like, like now when we see, we see everything in blue screens and you see any behind the scenes, it's just like people talking to blue screens and stuff, but they at least like had sets and, really Real tried stuff. to make it yeah like tried to make it look like uh tried to make it look authentic that the characters were interacting with like real world objects and um it's just man like it's such a feat that like to this day i'm like jesus man you like i don't know if anybody's like outdone this like mm. i mean i guess they tried in cool world but that's what i wanted to talk to you about so that's something i i knew we were going to get there which is like so, the evil twin of this movie yeah yeah um if anyone doesn't know cool world was a movie i think what it came in now 1995 or something starring um uh brad, brad Pitt, and we were someone that gabriel we were speaking Byrne. about 1992 actually gabriel uh, uh yeah gabe 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 burn as i call him gabriel burn <laughs> yeah gabe gabby um and kim basinger which is someone that we were speaking about i think last episode because we were talking about la uh, la confidential mm-hmm. and stuff like that um and came out in 1992 ralph bask uh Basque, um which is it tries it i mean it's this kind of the same thing as the crime movie mixing live action with animation um it was a massive massive flop right mm. um and th- with their movie cool world like that sex factor is like amped up because they do have kind of a yeah. jessica rabbit-esque type of character in 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 hollywood yeah um as the femme fatale but like that movie i mean they literally have sex in that movie don't they Right, she has sex uh, with Gabe Byrne. Yeah, she does. That's how she, because that's the yeah. whole rule. Toon, oh, doodles right, yeah. in her move in that movie, doodles can't have sex with humans because then they would become human and fuck up like the dimensions or something like that. So, um, I don't know. Like, what do you think? 
I, I what do you think? Why did one work and the other one didn't? <laughs> well, because the, I mean, I mean, one is like this one's for kids. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. at the end of the day, this one's for kids. Like you know, it's the appeal is yeah, Mickey Mouse. At the end of the day, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny are still probably we're still in the commercials, right? Mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit is still used as a uh, as a Disney property. It's a Disney movie still. At the end of the day, whatever you want to say, like all the all the innuendo, all the stuff, they never do. They never have sex. They never like cross the line. They never curse. But it's, it's funny because in Roger Rabbit, that when Eddie is taking those photos of Jessica Rabbit and um, Marvin Acme, you hear them. Oh, Marvin! They, like you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and as a kid, I really didn't think about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> but you're just kind of like, yo, what the fuck? Right, yeah. They that's the difference. Cool world turned the innuendo into just what it is. There's mm-hmm. like, all right, let's just, just do it. Let's let's have cartoon fucking rah. It's just like mean spirited or something. Yeah. Whereas like in that in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it's like just being cute and it's in your window, but then like even the payoff is like they weren't having sex. He's like, he goes, oh, he's playing patty cake. She's literally playing patty cake with him. Yeah. And you can't believe like, it. To the yeah. point that as a kid, I was like, what is, is that like a yeah. thing? Yeah. I was like, why is he so sad about that? <laughs> yeah. Patty cake, patty cake. And then he's crying so much. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, and now I, I was reading the writers were influenced by Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And that's the first scene of Chinatown is Jake Giddy's Jack Nicholson showing pictures of a, of a dude whose wife is cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's funny. That's like a big, a big plot point. Um, another thing about Robert Zemeckis and like in this two things, one thing I noticed actually two things that were similar to back to the future um, is characters that go crazy when they take like the tiniest bit of alcohol mm-hmm. roger rabbit just like it's a big plot point is like roger mm-hmm. rabbit when he consumes alcohol he just turns into a fucking rocket ship or something yeah doc brown when he yeah. takes a swig of a shot of whiskey he just falls over and passes yeah. out yeah this Characters is why i think robert zemeckis is like secretly like super conservative <laughs> I feel I had that conversation with you before, right? Yeah, you did. I, but you can explain it again if you. Oh, for the people that know, like if you kind of watch some of Robert Zemeckis' films, he kind of celebrates conservative. Yeah, conservative. I'm messing up the word conservatism. You know, and for for instance, in Back to the Future, the original Back to the Future One, um, how do you know that Marty's family is better off when he returns? to 1985 well his brother is in a job that's suit and tie his parents are yuppies his his whole family are yuppies and how is marty rewarded by getting a nice new ford or is it a toyota toyota truck yeah. in the garage you know and his family has for whatever reason they still live in the same house i don't understand that but <laughs> yeah. but like they have money and they're yuppies and stuff right um yeah. number two is you know there's a lot of um product placement, a lot of emphasis on materialism, whether they go into the, when it was, whether it's in the 2015 Hill Valley and everyone's riding around in Mattel um, hoverboards or they're drinking Pepsi free, um, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's very Reagan era nonsense. Um, uh, what else what was the other one I was thinking about? Um, 
Forrest Gump is the more obvious one where Forrest Gump as a baby boomer, he goes to college, plays football. He does everything quote unquote, right. Goes to college, plays football, joins the military, fights in Vietnam, comes back and accidentally invests in app, starts his own business as a shrimp captain and then invests money and falls ass backwards into billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. Right. Whereas Jenny, she <laughs> says, I'm an artist. I'm going to go pursue music. I'm going to be a hippie. Um, I'm going to associate myself with the black Panthers who, who are, um, uh, what's the word? Um, kind of portrayed in a very negative, not light. I mean, to the it's point where, true. yeah, they're very aggressive. And also they allow slapping of women in their offices <laughs> in their, in their, yeah. as Forrest Gump says in their black Panther party. Um, mm-hmm. um, and you know she experiments with drugs, sleeps around, and what does she get? AIDS. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, Zemeckis, what are you, what are you saying? Um, so yeah, stuff like that. I, I look at that and I'm kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah maybe yeah, he has that kind stuff. of. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know the man. So, but I'm just. Yeah. I, I just see some themes, some running themes in his films. So sure, there sure. was another example, but I forget. Um, yeah, I will come back to it. I'll bring it up another time. So, yeah. Anyway, how are we getting the subject of that? I forgot about fucking uh, about Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Oh, things we noticed about. Oh, you know what I else I noticed? The other thing I noticed was that the tunnel into Toontown is the yeah, same so tunnel yeah. from Back to the Future 2. Yeah, yeah. I've I been there. Like, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I've yeah. been there. That's at Griffin Park in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. I never, like, I thought they're just, like, lit differently, which is, like, the thing that I uh, I didn't realize. It's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting because I was, I was watching it and I'm like, oh, shit, that's the, how did I never notice that? Mm. But uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, is there anything else that I have in my notes? Um, other yeah, how good was Bob Hopkins? pretty amazing i mean he does i i heard him i think i heard him say that he was like uh he was seeing things afterwards yeah. hallucination like he, he was hallucinating and just seeing characters that weren't there afterward because he had basically had to dedicate himself into trying to uh you know picture characters that weren't there which is crazy um yeah he, no he's amazing and like deserves some kind of something when you realize what he had to do and i guess now it's like um now that kind of acting is basically like what everybody does you're just Mm. playing to something that isn't there now um but uh yeah but for the time man it's really cool um yeah also charles fleischer not charles fleischer yeah uh what's the guy's name yeah, I think that's it. Charles Fleischer or Charles Fleischer, who plays Roger Rabbit. Yeah, the voice of. Yeah, the voice of Robert Roger Rabbit. Who? Like, let me ask you a question. Like, <laughs> okay, you already know what I'm about to say. Yes. So you work at a, at, you work in, in in animation. Is that correct? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. What if you're at work one day, and one of your coworkers is like, "I really want to get into the role," so he just fucking dresses up every day to the office. In as the Tommy suit Pickles. of the character, yeah, <laughs> as Dora, yeah, yeah, and you're gonna be yeah. like, "Yo, dude, what the fuck?" Yeah, it's like, dude, you don't 
we don't need you to do that, man. It's actually it's actually a hindrance right now. It's actually kind of annoying. It's actually making my job harder. Yeah. That, that you fucking just feel so insecure about what you do that you, you feel the need to be in a costume on set all day. Yeah. And it's, like, one of those, it's one of those things where they were probably like, it just makes them feel better. Like, let yeah. me do it. But like, oh man, they all had to go like, oh man, thanks so much for doing that. Wow, this really helps. It's really yeah. helpful. It was not helpful. Like, yeah. I saw an interview. Bob Hopkins goes, it goes, Charles, what, what, why do you, why are you, you know, why are you wearing a costume? Why, why do you dress like that? Why are you wearing a costume like that? And Charles goes, Bob, I don't tell you anything, what to do with your character, do I? He goes, oh, fair enough. Well, <laughs> <laughs> my thing is like, hey, listen, everyone has their process and stuff. I'm just looking yeah. at it in a basic kind of thing. Like if my, one of my coworkers started like doing all that shit. I'm like, bro, what the fuck? It's just, you know what I mean? Like we're coworkers. We're not like, yeah. Tone it down, man. I think he probably was like, he thought, I think he probably felt like, listen, I'm the lead in this movie. Yeah. When is that ever going to happen again? I want my, you know, I want my opportunity to be on set yeah. as the number, like number one on the call sheet. Yeah. I bet that's kind of what he was, where, what it was. It came down to. Yeah. And he was doing like interviews in the costume and everything too. And yeah. Like, okay. It's just, it's, it's corny. And you know what's funny? They good for him. Cause he ended up being in Zodiac as that creepy guy in the basement. So yeah, he's great in Zodiac. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing, amazing, uh, thing to, to want to do. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Like movie, like Roger Rabbit, like it has to be, well, there they have there have been in times where animation and um, live action have been uh, mixed together. What was that one with? Uh, is it, oh Mary Poppins? Yeah, you know with that with that dancing scene. Yeah, uh, but the thing with Roger Rabbit, and I'm sure there's another scene I'm th- I'm, I'm missing out on, or another movie that I'm I'm not that doesn't come to the mind. The Incredible Mr. Limpet was that it? Um, I don't recall. Oh, I, I, I know what you're talking about. It's one of those, um, um, yeah, 1964. Yeah. Where, um, turns to a fish. I remember watching that back in the day. Yeah. I remember that. Cause thinking it was going to be like Roger Rabbit. The Roger Rabbit. Was, yeah. I, like, I remember it. Boring. Yeah. Very boring. <laughs> yep. And, uh, uh, is the secret world of Howard Mitty one too? Or am I, I thinking know. of uh, a secret of Howard Mitty? No, I think Walter Mitty. You thinking about Walter Mitty? Sorry, no, no, that's a what's his name, Ben Stiller. Yeah, but that was a remake. The secret oh. life of Walter Mitty. Oh, Ben's you Stiller. mean like the original one from back? Yeah, in the, the day. original one. Sam uh, Goldwyn coming out with a movie. Yeah, Danny Kaye. And Virginia Mayo. Forty-seven. Oh wow! I mean, no, it doesn't look like it has any type of fucking yeah, I think so. animation. I think, yeah, I think Mary Poppins is that first one, but it just goes to show that Robert Roger Rabbit had such an influence because it seems like any other movie that mixes, for the most part, with this, with the exception of the Space Jam movies, but that mixes. I can put out pull out a list of movies that live action and animation mix, and it's the same kind of premise. It's an LA story. It's a crime story. They're finding, you know, even that new Chip and Dale's um, 
movie that came yeah. out on Disney. It's very similar. Very, thing. very similar to Roger Rabbit. Yeah, very similar. It's a crime story. It's in modern times. Um, it's a LA. Hollywood story. Yeah, yeah, it's a Hollywood story um, where the cartoons are like people and actors. Yeah, they're just actors. Even to the point yeah. that they're actors in modern day and they're doing like fucking conventions and like they're yeah. out of work actors and stuff. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes. You know, very much so. Which I did you see that movie? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, okay. I don't know. I have to watch it again, but I didn't think it was absolutely terrible. To. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to. If you saw it, you got it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Further analysis. So, um, but yeah, did you know that was, this was uh, based on a book? I did. That's, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I don't know what the actual book is. I don't know what the similarities and differences are yeah. to the book. It's the novel well, it, censored Roger Rabbit. Yeah, who censored Roger Rabbit? Because the thing about it is, in the book, whenever the tunes talk, a a, a speech bubble pops up. No, that's they, yeah, whenever they talk, and the idea is that the Roger Rabbit in the book, he saw a murder, he saw the crime, and someone censored his speech bubble. Mm. So that's what the mystery is. And another thing that's different from the book is that apparently in the book, the tunes can um, produce a doppelganger of themselves which they use as their stunt people. But the doppelganger mm. only lasts for 48 hours and then they vanish basically. So um, in the book, the original Roger Rabbit is censored and murdered. Um, and the doppelganger is, is in existence. And that's the one that works with Eddie Valiant. And it's a, um, it's a ticking clock. Cause he's going to, I guess, die disappear. off in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to disappear in 48 hours. So that's why they're trying to um, ah. work together to get this fucking mystery solved. So Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and then they, I mean. And Judge Doom isn't in the book. Oh, <laughs> the villain in the book is actually a genie. <laughs> they find it's an evil genie. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes people like, yeah, they they ruin the book. And then other times it's like, no. <laughs> they, they're like, some of this works, but yeah, we got to figure this out. And yeah. it's really funny because even like the the Godfather, the Godfather is like different from the movie because there's like huge sections of the Godfather are about like um, this like this woman, I guess. Sonny, I don't forgot. Uh, Sonny's having an affair with a woman who has like overly big vagina, and yeah, she's I've like, and then yes, and she like falls in love with her she's trying to get it like reduced and then she falls in love with the plastic surgeon. And it's just like, even Francis Ford Coppola was like, it's like, there's huge swaths book about this shit. And you're like, what? I got to cut this out. Like, but this is like, <laughs> like, so I'm it'd be great. He cuts stuff. out everything and just leaves the vagina part. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mario, I made it better. <laughs> yeah. It's still three hours stuff. long. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All that mafia stuff just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Labia. That's what, that's what the people want. Yes. But yeah, so that's interesting. That's so different from the from the novel. Uh, mm. uh, the last note I have is the film opened in the United States on June 22nd, 1988, grossing $11 million um, in $1,000. 45 theaters during its opening weekend. It was in first place, the U S box office. It was Disney's biggest opening weekend ever at the time of its release went on to gross 154 million in the U S and Canada and 197 million internationally coming to a worldwide total of 351 million 
dollars at the time of its release. It was the 20th highest grossing film of all time. It was also the second highest grossing film of 1988, only behind Rain Man. In the United Kingdom, the film also set a record for opening for a Disney film, which crazy to think because I don't think that's when like Disney was in the dark, the dark ages. The 80s mm-hmm. was like the bad time for Disney with like mm-hmm. Black Cauldron and um, I guess the was the Aristocats 80s. That seems like 70s. Mm, I seem yeah, it seems earlier. Um, you know that's when they were like struggling with like Oliver and company. Yeah. Why should I worry? The only reason Why I know that. Why should I care? The only reason I know that is because they uh, they had played a trailer for it. The trailer for it on like I guess the Jungle Book or something when they were yeah one of them. in the 90s. One of the Disney movies, and I used to see that all the time. But like, I like that part, but I have no interest in seeing Oliver and Company. Mm. Um, a retelling yeah. of Charles Dickens' classic Oliver. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, that's what it is. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Oliver and Company. It's just updated. Wow. New York City, the high life, 80s New York City with music, original music from Billy Joel. Yeah, Billy Joel, yep. Joey Lawrence. Wow. Is Joey Lawrence the, the voice? It's Oliver and oh, Dodger's wow. Billy Joel is the voice of Dodger. Yeah, that's what it is. It's just Oliver and, um, yeah, Oliver, Charles Dickens Oliver. Cheryl Lee Ralph. Doesn't he don't come up with original ideas, Chris? They don't. Yeah, but they don't. And that's what, but that's the crazy thing. Cause I'm just like, I'm like, I was like, why didn't they just base it off something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why they try to do an original thing? Yeah. And even the Lion King is like Hamlet. And what is yeah. it? Uh, it's uh, Mac- is it Macbeth or Hamlet? Macbeth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you're, uh, it might be Macbeth. I think you're right. No, you're no, 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 no. You're you're right. It's Hamlet. Okay. Because Macbeth has the witches. That um, yeah. James it's Mangold ha- was yeah. a writer on uh, James Mangold who directed Logan and Ford versus Ferrari and the New Indiana Jones. Indiana. He was a writer on Oliver and Company. Mm. Interesting. These people just keep getting jobs, huh? It's, I mean, <laughs> once you're in the system, man. Yeah. You you know people. You just keep yeah. Getting well, I'm talking about with we were talking about X Men apocalypse and stuff and i'm yeah. i, I, I that, that motherfucker what's his name simon simon kimberg he met he better not be striking right now because i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean you got man. no reason to buddy yeah well it's crazy because like i don't know man like he's a producer on a lot of stuff mm. he's producer on the up death on the nile that was like the last thing he produced let's see what he's a writer on hold on X-Men Apocalypse, X-Men Days of Future Past. Bro, bro, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six things in development right now. He's still working. The Twilight Zone TV series. I saw that, yeah. The 355, which is a movie, I guess. Invasion, which is a TV series. He was working on Star Wars. Bro, he did Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I saw that. Which is somewhat okay, but it's yeah. saved. I see. I have to watch it again to see the writing, but it's yeah. saved by Guy Ritchie and um, what's yeah. this guy? Uh, Robert Robert Downey. Yeah. So let's. I'm just gonna go through his IMDb. Jumper. That's what I saw last night. I was yeah. like, oh, that makes sense. Have you seen Jumper? I have not. Wow, that is a movie. Ah oh, man, that is a movie I saw, and I was like, wow, this great concept. I love the concept. 
but this motherfucker is a mess. So much of a mess <laughs> that I have to own this thing because it's almost like a, a a weird artifact to be like this. This is something I need to. I like to. I like to just go back and it was like, wow, what is going on here? Because <laughs> it's it. There's no, nothing is explained, right? Like yeah. the, the explanation. You, do you know the premise of it? Nah, I just know people can teleport. Yeah, basically, Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker can teleport, and he thinks basically when they set up the movie, he's the only one that can do it. Yeah, he's the only one that can do it. He can teleport. All he needs is like a visual, and he can Nightcrawler basically. So he lives yeah. a high life. He robs banks. He just goes into banks, steals stuff, and then he like goes back to his like beautiful penthouse apartment in New York City. He like he's living life. He wakes up in the morning, you know, surfs in Hawaii, um, and then has you know chills and has lunch on on the sphinx in 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 egypt and then has dinner and it has a date in london all in one day and stuff like that um and uh, he doesn't know why he has the power he just has the power and then yeah. apparently sam jackson with some cisco looking hair he has platinum hair they don't explain that the only thing i can understand is because i read an interview where sam jackson was like I like to have say in my character's hair style, which mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. If you watch some of his characters like um, yeah. in Pulp Fiction or in fucking yeah. Unbreakable. Brown. Yeah. Jackie, Jackie Brown. Brown. Definitely. Yeah. That's he always, you know, yeah, he always does something with his hair. You can Django, I guess you can say he did that. So he has something with that. So, but you're like, why does he have platinum hair after, you know? But it's just they don't explain. So uh, Django, so <laughs> Sam Jackson leads this team that hunts these jumpers. Why? They don't even say. He just, he just his thing is just like because you live outside the law or something like that. Nah, 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 nah. And then Hayden Christensen, Hayden Anakin. I'm just going Hayden. Hayden yeah. finds out there's actual other jumpers because he meets a jumper in English and England, an English guy. And the line is literally, "You think you was the only one?" Like there's more of us and they never expand on that. Um, and then uh, Hayden finds his mother who's Diane Lane who abandoned him as a kid. And he goes, it's, it's such a weird thing. He finds his mother's house somewhere in Alaska or some shit like that. He knocks on the door. Who opens the door? Kristen Stewart for no reason is there. And she's like, who are you? He's like, oh, is, is Diane Lane here? She goes, yeah. And that's the last time you see Kristen Stewart it's just like she just opened the door and then Diane Lane pops out running out the door she was like you need to leave he was like what what's going on he was like I'm actually part of the organization that hunts, hunts jumpers with Sam Jackson and the reason I left you is because when I realized you were a jumper I knew they would come after you and come after me so I had to abandon you as a kid and leave you with Michael Michael Rourke who was your father your abusive father and you're like, like okay which is like uh what's his name uh, Gardens of the Galaxy, Peter Quill. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and uh, Michael Rooker. Yeah, Michael Rooker. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, and um, and that's it. That's the end of the film. And then, uh, and like the end of the film, he's just like, I'm just gonna continue jumping, guys. And it's just like, what is this? And it's one of those movies that like, should I have read the comic or the novelization prior? Because it seems like there's a lot of plot holes in this thing. But I had to get it on Blu-ray because it's uh, a, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's an, it's, it's incredible. Maybe so. Kristen Stewart's scene were, were cut out, and it's weird because Kristen Stewart, like, was in uh, Twilight maybe a year or two later, 
Mm. But also, it wasn't like she was in Panic Room in 2002. It's not like yeah. she was like nobody, nobody. Yeah. Um, let me read you off Simon Kimberg's uh, IMDb writing credits, and we'll just see where you think he stands. And mm. we'll just just give me your thoughts as we go through and about the career and what you said was like. I hope you're not striking. <laughs> Let's just put that all into perspective. So the first thing is a TV movie called Legacy in 2002. Next up, 2005 Triple X State of the Union, which is the Triple X movie with Ice Cube. If I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh man, okay. Wait, let me make sure. Never seen yes. that one. Triple X State of the Union with Ice Cube. Um, next up, 2005 is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Pretty big hit. Oh yeah. Doug Lyman. Once again, okay. I saw it in theaters. The thing is, the charisma with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie really makes that movie. Yes. And also, the premise is more famous than the movie. Mm. Um, to me, I don't remember a scene. I think I remember the scene where they've, you know, they're in their house getting shot by assassins. Mm-hmm. Anyway, next movie X Men The Last Stand, 2006. Uh, yeah. Yeah, not great. Um, TV movie, Mr. and Miss Smith, I think is the pilot for what they tried to make into a show. The next one, 2008 is Jumper. Mm, your favorite. I already told you what I'm thinking about that. Next one up is 2009's Sherlock Holmes, mm, how which bad. as you said, is saved by Guy Ritchie and, uh, Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, but still, still a pretty big hit. The next one, 2012. I think we've talked about this before, but I'm not oh, sure. Oh, this means war. Disaster movie? Oh, this means no, war. With Chris Pine and Tom Hardy and Reese Witherspoon. And yeah, Reese Witherspoon, yeah. As Fred. Yeah. <laughs> you just like shuddered. <laughs> uh, I think I've seen up, it once, exactly once. Yeah, I saw it once too. And it's, it's just um, McG is an interesting. I have guy. to watch that movie again because my thing is okay, so they find out there are two spies. Right, yeah. they're they're good buddies. Like they literally, their desks are yeah. across from each other. Yeah. First of all, how would you not find out you're dating the same girl? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're that close and you're in this in espionage and stuff like that. But the, to answer that question, like, what are they? Are they going to fight each other? Like, just be like, because I have to watch it. Were they really in love with this girl? Because are they going to be? It sounds piggish. They're going to be like, what? Either they say, all right, you can you can date her, and then, uh, or they just be like, listen. Threesome. <laughs> Let's get down with this thing. <laughs> Let's make it happen. What yeah. are we doing? We're wasting time here. Yeah. Uh, this means war. The next one is 2014's X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm. One of the better ones. Um, next up in 2015 is Fantastic Four. Mm. And no, not the <laughs> Tim Story Fantastic Four. This is the Miles, Miles Teller, Teller uh, Michael B. Jordan Fantastic mm. Four. I think you have more memories of that than I. I can't. I can't tell you anything. I just remember that. I think. I think at the very, very. And here's a here's an example of the writing. At the last scene, he, right? There's like a plane or something. They're in their headquarters, and he literally like looks at the screen uh, at the camera. He's like, "This is fantastic." Mm, you remember that? No, it's some. It's literally I something like that. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's some cheesy stuff. Yeah, because what the what's so off about that line in doing that is that this whole movie has been so dour and like, so like they were in that weird spot of like, 
post Dark Knight. So they thought they had to be like serious or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yo, the thing is a rock monster, man. Like he's a rock monster who just says jokes and he's supposed to be an old crotchety man. Not this like young, like young guy. I, it was, mm-hmm. and it was very like drab and very like, I don't know where the money went for the movie because like they went to two places and nobody was interesting and everybody has like angst, like not in Rooney Mara, but what's the other one? Uh, Kate Mara. Mm. Like they're all like angsty young superheroes, which is just like a humorless movie and mm. just didn't work at all, especially for those characters. Marvel's first family. Years. And again, it's like, it's one of those, it's like with the Fox deal, with Marvel is like they had to make a movie by a certain time. Otherwise they would lose the rights to the characters. Right. Right. So that's why they just made it. Anyway, 2015 was fantastic for 2016 screenplay by X-Men apocalypse, as you've mentioned mm. before on this and then star Wars rebels. Wow. He created like 74 episodes of the show. There's a then, line in apocalypse where he's like professor X goes into apocalypse's mind. Right. And in, and he sees the disaster and what he's going to launch nuclear weapons and all this. And he has like a seizure or some shit. And then I think it's Gene or maybe Mystique says, Professor X, what's, what, what is it? What, what does he want? He wants apocalypse. <laughs> mm, that's what we should call him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, then it's Dark Phoenix. Then it's the Twilight Zone show. The 355 Invasion, and this motherfucker has six things upcoming. Mm. Invasion TV series, The Killer's Game, Logan's Run, which is a remake, yeah. Luna Park, which might be a remake. I don't know. Here Comes the Flood mm. and Wayland. Luna Park. That's with Doug Lyman as well. Uh, he's got a relationship with Doug Lyman, and this might be Doug Lyman too. No. Logan's Run remake. Lo- Do you know Logan's Run? Yeah, I've never seen it, but I'm familiar with the concept. It's yeah. post-apocalyptic. and Yeah, it's a future movie. A young man yeah. at odds with his society's mandatory death sentence for all those turning 21 plots a daring escape on the eve of his fateful birthday. Yeah, that's what I'm familiar with. Yeah, I don't know if 21's that. <laughs> 21's old age. Um, but yeah, anyway, we got into a long thing. We'd, well, I guess it's we bookended. That's the thing. Mm, we bookended. Yeah, bookended right. with X Men. Ended with X Men writers. Oh yeah, that's right. So, um, is there anything else Full you want to circle. say about, about uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, I don't know. I mean, no, not really. I mean, I think we we said enough. It's a great movie. I recommend everyone to watch it. It was a. What do you? Yeah. What do you think was the lo- lasting impression? for you in regards to that film? Uh, it, Hmm. I mean, it's my favorite like film noir movie. It's my favorite private eye movie. Mm. Um, and it's funny and it's silly. And it's like, I, I didn't realize how tight the script was until I watched it this time. It's mm-hmm. really tight script. And, uh, and it, uh, they accomplish a lot and it's like, if you're going to do a visually, you know, it's like wizardry, man. If you're going to do something that high, high, uh, 
stylized, highly stylized visually and kind of innovative, you got to have the story behind it. And mm. they, they killed it. They knocked it out of the park. All the pieces were in place. Everybody's working at the height of their powers, even like to the point of like, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner and Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall and Robert Zemeckis, like all the backstage pieces are all in, in, in line. It's just really astounding. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a classic, I think. And it's funny cause a lot, I'll mention it and a lot of people won't even, Oh, I haven't seen that in a couple of years. And it's like, it's actually really good. And it has a different perspective when you watch it as an adult too, you know, you probably there's a lot of things that you missed out as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you watch it as an adult. Now you can pick up and appreciate a lot more stuff, not just the story wise, but maybe for people, the technical aspects of it as well. But what do I know? <laughs> you know, let me guess you're helping little most little, little Bo Peep. She lost a sheep and you're helping to find it. <laughs> I don't work for tunes. Who you work for? Jilly Willy, Squirrel Squirrel. Squirrel Squirrel? Oh, I got it. Little Bull Peep. She lost the sheep and you have to get her back. Amazing. That guy. Mm-hmm. They should give out Oscars for like guys with like three lines. Well, best supporting. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what well, no, but that's not even. <laughs> supporting is like, that's even too much. That's like, supporting is like Joanna Cassidy in this movie, who we haven't talked about, who plays Dolores. Yeah, who, she's good. When I was watching that, I was like, She's great in this. Like, how? Why have I not seen her in other stuff? And then I realized mm. I went through IMDb. I was like, I have seen her in a bunch of other stuff. Oh, she really? Just, like, she just looks so different in this movie than any other movie oh, I've yeah. seen her in. Tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pants? He's just happy to see me. There's a lot of sexual stuff in there. <laughs> it's a lot of innuendo <laughs> in it. Yeah. Uh, I just caught you with your pants your down. Pants down. What do you say? You think that? Oh. You still dabbling in watercolors, Eddie? Yeah. <laughs> that's about as blunt as yeah. you can put it. But anyway, that's enough. Uh, that's enough for me. That's enough for the Duran brothers for this week. Mike, tell the people where they can find you. Yes, the people can find me um, online where everything happens. Um, basically, anyone that's interested in talking about movies, chatting movies, and even sending a recommendation my way, um, hit me up, DroEsquire, D-R-O underscore E-S-Q. That's basically all my socials there, whether it be my Twitter, my Instagram, even my truth social. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. I don't have a truth social. Um, and... Um, yeah, just hit me up. Uh, like I mentioned before, I've been writing a bunch of haiku, uh, uh, reviews in haiku. Mm-hmm. Um, so check those out. I have a letterbox as well. So check that out. And um, yeah, just watch more movies, guys. Go out there and yes. watch movies. And listen, since there's a writer strike and an actor, uh, actor strike, where are you going to get content? Listen to this podcast because, listen, we're not going on strike anytime soon. Yes, I, uh, yes, that has been told to me. Everybody's telling me you're not going on strike. The bosses, the higher ups have been like, you guys can't strike. 
Really? They said that? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the podcast bosses. Oh, Spotify. yes, the party. Yeah, I got a, a word from. I got a note from Spotify saying we can't strike. Yeah, John Carnegie uh, Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spotify with a monocle. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, uh, you can find me ChristianDuranComedy.com for all your Christian Duran needs. Uh, Christian Duran SVP on Instagram uh twitter and threads if you want to go on there mm. uh letterbox i'm trying to post reviews and stuff but i'm not watching as much as i have but i will be adding who frame roger rabbit to my list i it's already on there but i'll add like a little review and you know you can catch me in a movie theater soon watching across the spider verse barbie and oppenheimer maybe all mm. in one day who knows who knows what can happen But anyway, that's enough for me. All right, guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.